Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. Amari is off season O officially gone. Did it change on Twitter today? I feel like you're back in business. Vacation is over. Time to get back to work, my guy. Yeah, I changed it last week because I was like writing stuff. And then I was like, well, I don't want to publish stuff. I want people to read it. It's like off season though. Like off season though is for vacation. And Amari Sanko for the second is all about business. So I changed it like last Wednesday or Thursday uh, or something like that. And, you know, I shed my single tear and then I kept it pushing because we have media day today and training camps tomorrow. And we're off. We're off to the races. Off to the race. Amari, this is our 90th episode. Do you realize that? 90 episodes for the Pistons polls. I want to point out Motor City Hoops never made 100. We we thought we were going to get there. It didn't quite get there before we started this. Obviously, this was the best thing that ever happened to Wes and I, but we're slowly inching to the 100th episode for the Pistons polls. Pretty excited. Don't know what we'll have in store, but just had to bring that up real quick, man. 90 episodes we've done together now. Yeah, 90 is such a big number, and this is crazy to think will be episode 100 in two and a half months, which places us somewhere in December, assuming we don't do any special episodes before then, uh, which unless they make a blockbuster trade, I don't see why we would. Knock on wood. Uh, super exciting. Yeah, I mean, 100 is a big number. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. We've been doing this like a year and a half, and that's a really big number. So we'll have to figure out something fun to do for that one for sure. Everybody watching live here, thank you guys for joining us. 90 great episodes from YouTube. You appreciate it. You can see the energy in the chat already, Omar. We got people going, hey guys, yo, 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 it's media day from our, our, our guy, RB Nesbitt. You can just tell the energy is up. We're going to be all over the place. We got all sorts of media day quotes and themes and topics. We're going to hit as much of it as we can. If you have some questions, drop them in the chat. We'll save them. We'll try to get to them at the end. I got to... Oh, and also... Next week, we are going live after the game versus the Suns. So the Pistons have their first preseason game on Sunday. It won't be immediately after the game because Omari has this job where he has to write articles after the game. But a little bit later, Sunday evening, we'll go live and break that down. But Omari, what was it like being back in the building today? What was the vibe? What was the energy like from the team, the organization, new head coach, some new players? Just what was the vibes on? First, shout out Bryson. I uh, met a uh, guy named Bryson, oh, yeah. a mutual friend, like a week and a half ago. And he told me he was a big fan of the pot. So it was cool to kick it with you and talk basketball. And I'm sure I see you around. So first, shout out Bryson. Uh, second, you know, like I guess the first day always kind of feels like the first day of school. But this year was probably the year felt the least like the first day of school just because we're just familiar with most of these guys. By now, we've been covering most of the team since their first day. So like that familiarity is there. So you don't necessarily feel like the newness, I guess, that you get uh, on the first day of training camp every now and then. But beyond that, I would also say just being, I guess, in the fourth year of the rebuild, uh, it was more like just getting back to business today, right? It wasn't, uh, you know, hoping that, you know, players, I don't know, uh, like development-wise, it was more so uh, we are going to make guys earn it, right? You know, we're going to have competition in camp. We're going to do this and that. And it's just going to be a turning of the page to an extent. So I think with that, uh, just very business as usual today, but also a little bit more focused, a little bit more, uh, we want to do something this season. And, you know, it's time to start turning the page and getting better on defense, getting better on offense. K, make the leap, uh, this and that. Let me ask you this, Omari. Is there any big difference between a Monty Williams interview and a Dwayne Casey interview? I mean, everything we've heard about both, and we'll have some Monty Williams quotes from the guys about who he is as a person. But was there anything that kind of struck you of this is just a little bit different, not necessarily good or bad, but just different? Uh, we haven't talked to Monty a whole lot. Uh, we talked to him at his press conference and um, after the, the draft, obviously, and then today. So today was probably only the third or fourth time uh, we talked to him since he was hired just in a press conference setting. But they're just different people. You know, Bonnie and, and Dwayne, they just have very um, different dispositions. Um, like one thing players say about Monty, uh, you know, it's just the fact that he played in the, in the NBA uh, and then he has a lot of guys on the staff who played in the NBA, like that means a lot. But he's just known around the league. It's just 
you know, having this this calm family presence. And, you know, like Dwayne kind of has that presence too, right? Uh, you know, he's known as a, a family man and very respected around the league. So there are some similarities there. But just the dispositions are very different. And it's tough to explain how, but I think if you've seen Dwayne at the podium, you see Monty at, at the podium, they just have different energies, right? I think Dwayne's probably a little bit more upbeat. Monty's very laid back. And we also haven't seen Monty in, in as many scenarios. We haven't seen him after a tough win or a tough <laughs> loss or, you know, a really big loss. So there are some sides to Monty that would be uncovered as we get deeper into this process. So it's tough to compare just because we spent so much time with Dwayne and we're still getting to know Monty. Does that stress you out a little bit, Amari, as a beat writer? Are you a little bit worried about the first blowout loss or the first crushing loss at the buzzer and kind of how Monty's going to handle it, what kind of questions? Because after this many years, you probably had a feel for what you could ask Dwayne and when you could ask it. With Monty, it may take, hey, I asked this question and I get this certain answer or this look or whatever, and you got to kind of fill that out. So I don't know if stress is the right word, but do you think about that, having to kind of navigate that with a new coach? Yeah, uh, you learn. Uh, there's probably a different style of asking questions for you know different people. Uh, you just get a feel for like how they answer certain things, questions they like, questions they dislike, and the timing and whatnot. So we're still figuring that out for Monty. Anytime you have a, a new coach, there's like that filling out process. Uh, I would say in general, I you know expect to upset people kind of anyway, just because that's just part of the job. It's occasionally asking a question they don't like or writing something they don't like. So uh, you know, I just sort of expect that at some point I will. Uh, make Monty not happy, uh, you know, because of a question I asked after a game or whenever, uh, you know, and that's just part of it. But uh, at the same time, I mean, he just has such a relaxed uh, demeanor. And, you know, of course, everybody talks about the basketball knowledge. So it'll be cool to be able to pick his brain on certain things, you know, see what he has to say about certain guys and uh, certainly how uh, he handles the media after wins and losses because that's obviously a filling out process. It's mostly a positive day. People are excited, but I want to go ahead and get this kind of negative, sad news out of the way. Isaiah Livers' ankle injury out six to eight weeks, and this came from Livers, said he got hurt during a pickup game last week, just a fluke play where someone stepped on his ankle. He's not in a walking boot or using crutches. Obviously, this is direct quote from Livers now. Obviously, I wish I could have avoided it at all costs. Control what you can control. So just some disappointing news there around Isaiah Livers, who a lot of people thought had a chance to really crack this rotation. Yeah, it's just tough. I mean, I even talked to him a couple uh, months ago about how his whole offseason regime was just about staying healthy, right? Like stretching, preparing his body, uh, just taking on less of a workload compared to to past offseasons because he said he would train two, three times a day. And then by the time you get to camp, you know, your body's already worn out. So uh, just a really tough break for him, honestly. He said it was just a fluke injury. They were playing basketball last week and I guess somebody stepped on his ankle wrong and he tweaked it that way. But, you know, for it to be a great a great three strain which could, could keep him out for two months, it's just it's just tough. Uh, I think he missed 30 games last year. I think he played 17 as a rookie because he came back from that stress fracture, which was on his right foot. Now he, he sprains his left foot. So, uh, you know, you hope that he can put his injury issues behind him, you know, of course. And uh, some of them he's had have just been flukes, you know, unavoidable. So maybe the bad luck will wear off and we'll see him get back. Yeah, and there's a question we'll talk about later about where that puts this rotation. And there's still an open roster spot, but there was a little bit of a hole at the four. And that's obviously something some people felt like he could play. I want to talk about the rookie, Asar Thompson. Going through the quotes, and all I really looked at, Omari, was what you were tweeting out and then dumped those into the outline. Five different players, four different plus a SAR, talked about his defense. So the, I'm going to start with the, what Cade said because it kind of talked about him as a whole player as well. He plays winning basketball. He connects the floor really well. His playmaking ability should be talked about more because he's a willing passer, but he's able to read the floor really well. And the way he gets after it on the defense will be huge from day one thought that was high praise from Cade Cunningham. And it just, it, it stood out to me that a theme of media day was people praising Asar Thompson on the defensive end. Pretty much everybody we, we asked uh, about Asar uh, had nothing but good things to say. Uh, we saw what he did at, at Summer League, right? I mean, he's a freak athlete, uh, just very instinctive defender. Uh, but today it, it was more so parsing what type of role he'll have early on. And all the signs suggest that he'll be a pretty significant part of the rotation uh, to start because of his defense. Alec Burke said he's ready to defend some of the top players like right now. I mean, that's as high praise as it gets right there. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm curious to see if he can play more power forward uh, with Isaiah Livers out. Uh, 
Asar did mention he can play one through four, so uh, clearly he's thinking about it. And, you know, just line up wise uh, with parts of their of his skill set will they try to tap into the most, right? Like, will it just be crashed boards? I mean, he, he does everything, right? You don't just focus on one thing, but just line up wise, I'm curious to see what positions they put him in and how much he's able to tap into everything. Yeah, and you ask Asar directly if he's ready to defend the best players. He said, definitely, I'm very confident. I want to guard the best player every night. I always felt like a pretty good defender, but I felt like I learned from Summer League. I think that's really important if people want, you know, what do you get out of Summer League? Well, it gave Asar a chance to go play a few games at least against close to NBA competition, but at least competition better than the overtime elite. Maybe he got exposed on some things, but then he can learn from those. So it's not happening on opening night. I feel like I've taken a little bit of pushback and heat for saying that he could take these matchups of a rookie. Rookie defenders usually aren't that good. They're foul prone. I get all of that. But the quotes coming out of media day to me seems like they're going to kind of put him in that role. He the confidence he has to be in that role is important. The confidence his teammates have in him to fill that role. And quite honestly, Omari, it's a role this team needs from a wing is to take on those matchups. And so maybe eventually you have to take a, that off his plate, but I, I'm ready to throw him to the Wolves game one, first of the season, and just see how it goes. And especially just how defense-focused uh, today's media day was as well, where, you know, Troy said, we can't be the Pistons until we defend. Uh, you know, they talked about just the pickup games after summer and all these things they did to build camaraderie, which they hope will translate into the season as far as their communication on defense. So Asar, of course, is a big part of that, you know, just being potentially the best defensive wing on this roster, somebody that Troy... Uh, you know, drafted specifically because he believes he'll be able to defend and, and check some of the NBA's best scores. Uh, so you, I don't see how he, he doesn't have a role just given that that's his specialty and just everything he's done so far. Uh, I mean, he's passed every, every test. He even said he wasn't that happy with his summer league performance, but I mean, he stuffed the stat sheet and everything you want to do. So I'm curious to see just what role they put him in uh, to begin. Does he start? Does he come off the bench? Is he four, three, two? Uh, there's a lot of ways that this could still go. And Killian said about him, what he's seen from Asar defensively is how explosive he is. And I think this is why Asar can be a little more successful than maybe some wings. Killian said he can be late and make a mistake, but he's going to recover and affect the offensive play. So Asar is so athletic and so twitchy and so explosive that even if he does get out of position or lose awareness or whatever on the weak side. He's so explosive, he can still get back in the play. We've seen that a little bit with Hami. Again, Asar is another level of that. So I think that adds to why Asar can still find some success or it won't be so rough on him as a rookie to take these matchups is he has this elite, elite Omari athleticism for the NBA. And one thing he talked about just offensively that's translated is his ability to get paint touches. And he talked specifically about even taking a shot there or kicking it back out, right? So he knows how athletic he is. He knows he could blow past a lot of uh, defenders. And then once he gets into the paint, I mean, we saw it in Las Vegas. Like, he's a great finisher. Um, you know, good pass. He'll be, he'll be able to do dump-off passes to Duran, whoever's down there. Uh, you know, swing it to the opposite side for a three. Uh, there's a, a lot of that. Uh, so his defense and the athleticism, of course, is a big part of that as well. And, uh, you know, I mentioned this last week too, but I'm curious to see how he looks at the, the four. With, I'm, Isaiah I'm with you. Livers hurt. You know, I think that the doors open for him to do that. And just, it just seems like his skill set naturally lends itself to being an effective power forward. So I'm curious to see if they put him in that role early on. I'm with you on that as well. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. We're going to go a little bit off the court, Omari, but I feel myself a little more energized tonight, Omari. I know you've had a long day. I was, I was sitting there watching <laughs> no. all your tweets come through. I'm like, man, he sat in that room and just asked question after question. I just had a JV football game. Unfortunately, we took an L. Proud of my guys, though. They played hard. Essentially, we played without a quarterback. But like, as soon as we started recording and I saw the chat blowing up, we have a few more viewers tonight, I feel my energy going up. So I say that to say it was interesting what some guys said about just Detroit and the energy around other sports teams. So Isaiah Stewart said, when you see the Lions, the games, and the fans are crazy, they're off to a great start. That definitely gives us some fuel. We want to be one of those teams in Detroit too. So we've talked about this a little bit, Omari, about how who kind of dominates Detroit. Obviously, the Pistons players are as well, and they want to get in on that energy that fans have around the Detroit Lions right now. And they're positioned to do that, right? Uh, we saw what the Lions did last year where you start off weak, but you close the season strong. You create this momentum for the season after. And I think the Pistons have a chance to be in that position. I mean, if they're 
the NBA's version of this season's Lions, then that means a lot of things went right. But I could see them uh, going back to one thing Troy said, it's just competing all 82 games, right? Like we just need to have that competition level where it needs to be. And we have the depth and hopefully experience to do that now. Uh, they need to get to that step, right? You know, I think if they could genuinely put a good product on the floor every year, you have some really exciting players in Asar and Jaden Ivey and endurance, you get some of the casual attention just from the highlights you get. And especially, especially if Cade Cunningham makes that leap to star, uh, things could line up for them in that way. Uh, Detroit's a basketball city, of course. Uh, they Detroit has not really had a great Pistons team since they moved back downtown uh, six years ago. And I'm curious to see what that looks like. Uh, the Palace had this long sellout streak. I didn't even know how many games. It went on for like years. And they were all the way out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Auburn Hills, like a 35, 40-minute drive from uh, where I am in Detroit. And now you're downtown. So I, I think it would be fun to see a Pistons team that could kind of capture the city and, you know, just see how much it adds to it now that they're downtown and they're just so much more accessible for a lot of fans. I'm really interested to see what it would look like if they came out and had a good start to the season. They're fun to play and fun to watch. And I just, I, I think there'd be a lot of energy behind it along with the Lions winning games as well. You mentioned Cade Cunningham. There's a few quotes that really stood out to me. The first one was Troy Weaver on Cade Cunningham. This one really stood out to me, Amari. He said, he can really explode off that leg now and play with his mind being free of not having having to worry about his leg. He's stepping into being healthy. He's the linchpin of what we're doing and we're excited. He has a chance to be a big time player. I thought that was really interesting that he, Troy Weaver, mentioned the health in that leg for Cade Cunningham. Yeah, and explode is a, a pretty strong word, right? Like it makes you think that Cade's going to have a zip that he probably lacked as a rookie. And obviously last season, he was clearly hobbled, but that shouldn't have been bothering him for a while. So, um, I mean, of course, he comes to the season with a lot of momentum, right? Uh, we all heard, saw what he did in Las Vegas with the USA Select team. And uh, now he's fully healthy. And in some ways, this is going to feel like his first season, just in the sense that that shouldn't would not be bothering him. Uh, they talk about how strong he's gotten. He talks about he's been working on his shooting. So he's been rehabbing and also still working on his skill set. We even saw glimpses of him last year uh, working with John Beeline uh, just on his shot mechanics, right? Like just the mechanics, not even the ball in his hands. Uh, so he's been working on this stuff even while he was hurt. So, you know, does he put it all together day one? Is there like a transition period for him? Uh, I think that's what we'll be looking for. But so far, I mean, all the signs have been really good. And I'm just curious to see if that fixed leg really does lead to him showing some stuff we haven't seen from him yet. And Isaiah Livers mentioned the strength. So he said he noticed Cade's improved strength when playing one-on-one. -on -one. His bumps were a lot stronger and more forceful. I was like, okay, you've been lifting a little bit. The media was right about you and he started laughing about it. So it's interesting, you know, we hear about all this stuff in the media, we see the pictures, we talk about the upper body strength, all of that. But when you get it from another NBA player who says, hey, this was real, I could feel it. I could physically feel that added strength and bulk when playing against him. That's a little more meaningful to me. And we know coming into last season, Kate wanted to bulk up just to be able to take the punishment of the NBA more. Uh, so he continued that this past offseason. And you can look at him, you can just see that physically he's come um, a pretty long way uh, since his rookie season. So I'm curious to see how he can wield that physicality as well. Uh, like what we see on post up, you know, exactly how is that going to translate to the court? Because, you know, Cade, even if he is more explosive, he's probably not going to be like that first step guy. It's still going to be a lot of craft and a lot of just him being able to bump guys out of the way, which he was extremely good at as a rookie, even if he was 10, 15 pounds lighter. So now he'll just add to that on top of that. And he was moving a lot of guys out the way, like seven foot guys, like with 40 pounds on them. So it's not like he lacks strength. So I'm curious to see how that translates this year. Yeah, I'd like to see it, though. I always said, you know, people talk about, you know, Cade, maybe not that explosive, not that athletic, but I was always more, I'd rather see him just get stronger, just play yeah. and lean into playing through angles, playing through contact. One last one on Cade before we go to break here, Amari. Asar, again, says he doesn't seem like he's 22. So to, speaking to what you just, Cade's still just 22, but Asar said he seems like he's a 10-year vet, just the way he conducts himself. His leadership is crazy for someone so young. Again, this is something we've talked about with Cade, the intangibles, being the face of the franchise, being a leader, and you hear a young player like Asar speaking to that. There were some other quotes as well, but I think Cade truly, and it helps when you're on the court, right, Omari? It's, it's kind of hard to be that guy when you're hurt, like we saw last year, but he's feeling healthy. 
That's going to help him individually, but now he's on the court. And I'm really interested to see if we continue to see him kind of grow and flourish in that leadership role. Yeah, I mean, several people today mentioned that Kate just seems so much older than his age. I think Alec Burke said he has an old soul. Yeah, And I mean, even like first day he came into like the NBA with the Pistons, he had that uh, maturity to him uh, where it's like, this dude is like 19, like what he was like, I guess I was, was 27 when he was drafted and he easily could have passed as like somebody my age. Uh, so that maturity stands out. Uh, you know, I think Cade has a, a presence to him that the guys really respect. And Cade talked about almost being more like a coach last year, you know, sitting on the sidelines, uh, seeing the game from a different angle. Uh, you see teammates' tendencies and you learn a lot just from watching, right? Like not being out there, but just having a set of eyes on the entire floor as a whole. So all those things could pay off for him this season. And yeah, like he is the most grown 22-year-old probably in, in the NBA. I was talking to a coworker last week and they were like, he's only 22? Like I thought he was like 25, 26 at the least. I was like, yeah, like he's like a senior in college. Like it's really crazy. All right, we're going to go to a short break break here. And when we come back, Amari, you mentioned some of that competition in the offseason. They added some veterans. We got a ton of quotes from Troy Weaver, Joe Harris, Monty Morris about all of that stuff. We'll dive into those quotes when we get back from this short break. All right, we are back with segment two. And let's dive into Jalen Duran a little bit because I asked Monty about Duran's defensive growth that he mentioned he's gotten better at communicating. And then Duran, too, just talked about the game slowing down. Bryce, if Jalen Duran makes that defensive leap, like let's say he's just slightly above average as a rim protector compared to last season. Uh, just how much does that increase the floor for this team? Because people seem pretty high on just how much he's grown this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be huge. We've talked about this team needing to grow defensively. And I think that's really where it's got to start. At the end of the day, I think it has to start with Jalen Duran. We've taken a little bit of heat, Amari, because we've kind of critiqued Jalen Duran's defense and not as much with Jay Nivey. But to me, the floor is raised or the ceiling maybe goes out, whatever with Jalen Duran's defense more so than Jaden Ivey's, in my opinion, especially, I think, with what both of us believe about Asar Thompson. So if Jalen Duran is doing those things defensively, I think Monty had a quote on him, his, his communication is much further along than most young guys. That's huge because Jalen is truly the anchor of your defense. So if he's calling the right coverages, calling the right switches, all of that stuff, that's going to be huge for this defense. And so I think that is one of the biggest things I'm watching for in terms of growth of individual players. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want to hear, right? That, uh, you know, Darren took his rookie season and then just got in the lab and, you know, studied what he could do better. Of course, he has the physical gifts to be one of the NBA's best rim protectors. So it's just learning the game at this point. And kind of like Cade, you forget how young Jalen Duran is, where he's younger than a lot of the rookies this year. He was the youngest player in the NBA last year, um, you know, since he reclassified, uh, you know, to get to Memphis a year early. So for him to be where he's at, um, I think at 20 years old, is he 19 or, or 20 now? He turned... He turned 19 last year, so maybe he's still 19, which is just crazy, right? Like, we're talking about, like, a 19-year-old kid who has uh, 60, 70 NBA games under his belt. Uh, so I think along with that, we also saw, uh, you know, Darren handle the ball a little bit in summer league. We saw him take a few jumpers. And, you know, today, and this was a little bit prickly for fans, I know, uh, you know, Monty said that situationally they could play Darren at the four in big lineups. Uh, you know, I feel like fans got, like, PTSD flashbacks, like when they said that. And, you know, we've talked so much about the two big lineup and everybody's picked it apart on social media as far as the, you know, plus minus, like obviously way more minus than, than plus in the lineups last year. But I guess along with that, I am intrigued by what he could do at the four if some of that shooting translates. And where are you at on this, Bryce? Like, do you see any potential there for him to thrive next to a Isaiah Stewart at the four or a, J or a James Wiseman at the four? Yeah, so Jalen Duran's 19 years old. He turns yeah. 20 on November 18th. So yeah. we got a, a month here. Here's my thing when I first saw the Jalen Duran at the four. I always try to go, okay, can I see this? Is this something that I would even want to see, consider? If Jalen Duran was playing the four, I only see it working if you had a stretch big at the five. 
which I don't think the Pistons have in James Wiseman or Marvin Bagley III. And so I don't see it working with the current roster because if you say Isaiah Stewart, then in my opinion, Isaiah Stewart's the four and Jalen Duren's the five. I do think those two can play together. Now, if you change what their role is defensively, Omari, that's a whole nother conversation. I can live in a world where you say, hey, Isaiah Stewart, you guard the other team's five and be switchable and play that way and then let Jalen Duran be a roamer, right? That, that makes a lot of sense defensively to me. I could see that. But I don't think you can play Jalen Duran with a non-shooting big right now, especially if Asar Thompson is on the floor as well. So there's some other dynamics here also. So that's where I'm at with it. If you want to play Jalen Duran at the four, you better have a floor spacing five, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel the same way. And maybe he's grown a lot as a, a shooter and he'll be able to space the floor. And then you can pair him with a Wiseman or a Bagley and get away with it a little bit easier. Um, I'll still probably want Bagley at the four in that instance. But either way, maybe there's some growth there that we just haven't seen. He did hit, hit three at, at Summer League, but that's such a small sample size. So you can't really put a lot of stock into it. But clearly it's something that he's been working on. Uh, I'm just curious. I guess one, it'll be highly matchup dependent, right? So how many teams would it even make sense to play Jalen Duran at the four? Uh, there's just not that many teams that have, I guess, those two tower front courts anymore. So it was just, to me, I think it would be a very situational thing. I don't think they're going to trot out a, a uh, Jalen Duran at the four, uh, starting five to you know begin the season. I did, didn't get the sense that this is going to be like a staple. Uh, he said, when we go big, which of course is very situational. But if Jalen Duran can shoot, then I think that changes the calculus a little bit. And he did say that uh, Monty doesn't have handcuffs on any, anybody as far as that. If it's a good shot, he's going to take it. So we could see him dabble with that next season. So there's still some unknowns here, and I think we have to see it in practice. Maybe we'll see it as soon as next Sunday um, in preseason when they play Phoenix. But if he can shoot the ball a little bit, I think that opens things up significantly. Well, what I do believe in Jalen Duran a little bit is him being able to dribble into DHOs and make passes and that type of stuff. He he has some of those skills that I think it'll make it a little bit more reasonable. I just don't think we've seen near enough of the shot to think that that's something. And, and maybe we'll be proven wrong or maybe I'll be proven wrong in his ability to do that. Like To me, I'm like, let's do one of these projects at a time. We're trying to transition to Isaiah Stewart to the four. Let's see if that works before we also start trying to do it with Jalen Dirt. Omari, could you imagine if Monty Williams rolls out a Jalen Duran, James Wiseman front course starting lineup on opening night? I think the fan base would explode. I think that would break Twitter if that happened. Speaking of Isaiah Stewart, Omari, Troy Weaver said on Isaiah Stewart's extension, you always want to have a player or players on the team who are symbols for what you want to be about. And he's that on and off the floor. Who he is as a person and what he brings to practice what he brings as a teammate. And Weaver reiterated that from a competitive standpoint, Stewart's absence was as big as Cunningham's last season. I think those are huge words and really explain why Troy Weaver gave Isaiah Stewart the contract that he did. And Troy said that a few times that he thought just from a competitiveness standpoint that Isaiah Stewart's absence uh, was just as bad as Kate being out last season, uh, which says a lot about how Isaiah Stewart's seen and respected in the locker room and just the way he carries himself, you know, the the fire that he plays with. I asked him about being more of a vet this season, not at your post-extension. And, you know, he said he sees the younger guys going to him, uh, looking for guidance on certain things. He worked a lot with Jalen Duran last season. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes aspects to Isaiah Stewart that may not come through for, to fans watching on TV. But I think that, along with the fact that he's already a plus defender, like he's been developing his shot, uh, plus rebounder. Uh, you have the makings of a very versatile big as well. So it uh, could be a big year for Isaiah Stewart. Honestly, I feel like we haven't talked about Isaiah as much this year, probably just because they have some new players in and we've talked about Isaiah a lot over the last three years. But if he comes in and he can shoot, you know, 35, 36% from three, uh, the defense is still there. And, you know, we see him and Cade kind of being the leaders on this team. Uh, you know, then that extension he got really is a fantastic value, in my opinion. I had to laugh yesterday on Twitter. Somebody tagged me because I think it was just a random person had 
talked about the way Isaiah Pacheco, the running back for the Chiefs. Oh, runs yeah. <laughs> Did you see it? And they used the Isaiah Stewart trying to chase down LeBron yeah. video to go with it. And I was like, this is this is the ultimate me tweet. This is perfect. I never in my life thought I would get the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Pistons merged into something that made sense. And it was like, oh, that absolutely makes sense with the way Pacheco runs and then that video of Isaiah Stewart. So I kind of had a laugh. I, I retweeted it. That, that was really good. That that made my day seeing that. I didn't know if you saw that on Twitter. Or I not. did. That's the only uh, Pistons Chiefs crossover tweet I've ever seen. Anybody ever see? I actually bookmarked it because I thought it was that funny. I was like, I'm going to watch this later. Uh, you know, Ed Pacheco is such a, I mean, just from watching the, the Chiefs, he, he 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 runs like every run could be his last, like just an extremely violent, uh, fun runner to watch. But I mean, again, like Isaiah Stewart has that edge. Um, and I think if this team does get to the point where they're competing every night, I think some of those intangibles he has will begin to shine through more. And I just think this team being bad really hasn't done him any favors because, you know, I think a lot of what happens behind the scenes has not been rewarded on the floor yet. So maybe we'll begin to see that this season. And just to reiterate this, Stewart said, I definitely see myself more as a power forward now, especially having this group of bigs. A key this summer, even after talking to Coach Monty, is continuing to get comfortable with certain things they'll have me doing at the four. So I know not everybody agrees with it. Not everybody likes it. Wes and I have talked about this in terms of still wanting to see Beef Stew at the five. We don't want to see him 100% of his minutes at the four this year. Still want to see some minutes at the five. But whether anybody likes it or not, the experiment of Isaiah Stewart transitioning to a four-man is going to continue. And at the end of the day, I kind of agree with it, Omari. I think trying to move his game to the perimeter is better because he doesn't have that great vertical pop in the lane to finish over people, catch lobs and those type of things. So I'm in support of it. I think it's going to work, but that's because I'm betting on who Isaiah Stewart is kind of to go along with everything we've been saying here. Yeah, I think... Isaiah Stewart has a reputation as being this kind of like throwback, uh, post-oriented player just because of how he looks and the way he's built. But he's really not that good of a finisher. Uh, you know, again, you mentioned he, he lacks the vertical pop. And, you know, just touch rise around the rim hasn't quite been where you would want to see from a center. So, again, if he shoots 35 36% from three, um, I'm not to run the math, but that's probably more valuable, <laughs> you know, just for the offense than him being in the paint. Uh, where, you know, he could kind of get lost in the, the trees a little bit sometimes. I mean, he's 6'8", he moves his feet well. I just think it's a pretty logical transition for him. But I am curious to see if he starts at the four and then shifts to the five and they just have essentially him and, and Duran taking most of those minutes or if he's a full-time four and then you work one of Bagley or Wiseman in there. So, you know, camp's going to be pretty telling this week and Monty has some decisions to make uh, for that front court. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and so to speak on that competition, and you mentioned it earlier, this came from Troy Weaver. Competition in-house is the best thing for us to grow. Veterans, they need young guys that keep them on their toes, and the young guys need veterans to keep them on their toes. But Coach Williams will put the best player on the floor. And then this was interesting from Monty Morris on what he's seen from the young players so far. He said, just talent, so much talent as far as teams I've been on. Definitely one of the two teams I've been on where the pickup games, they're very competitive both courts competing. And then he kind of elaborated. He said the intense offseason pickup games with the 2018-2019 Nuggets was the other team he was talking about. And he said, you couldn't tell the starters from the bench. We had some battles. It was fun. But just the feeling that I got with this team. So very interesting quotes from Monte Morris just on the competitiveness of these pickup games. And we talked about this, Amari, just the overall, like you're going to have to earn your spot. And Monte Williams has some tough decisions to make. And that was a playoff Denver team because uh, they won 54 games that season. And they won, I think, at a high 40s, like 47 the season before. So that was a very good Denver team and they had momentum from the 47-win season. And, you know, they got to work. He talked about those pickup games. He talked about how he was going against Jamal Murray. Uh, you had Torrey Craig going against Michael Porter Jr. You had Mason Plumlee battling against Jokic and they were just really going at it. So, you know, the fact that the Pistons, after a 17-win season, are matching the intensity of a Nuggets team that at that point was four years away from winning a, a title, but you still had three of the key guys on that team in their back then and just the way they were going at it, I think really bodes well. I actually wrote about that, uh, you know, tonight. So check that out on freak.com, if you will. But along with that, they really want that competition level and that togetherness they had over the offseason 
to carry over on a defensive end this season. Uh, I mean, we saw how disorganized they were last year. Some of that was just injuries. They lost 300 uh, games to injury, uh, which was the second highest in the NBA. And then some of that was just being young as well. But I think it just put a bad taste in the mouth of this team. Like, we could be better than that. We know we're better than that. And a lot of guys individually we just talked about, like, you know, we really developed our chemistry this offseason, just getting to know each other, hanging out in L.A. for Rico Hines, uh, Summer League, all the pickup runs they had here in Detroit. Like, it seems like that camaraderie is really strong. And uh, Cage said he feels confident that they will be a lot better on defense just because of the togetherness that they've had. So all positive signs going into the season. Speaking of some of that, I thought this was interesting. Again, from Asar, on the vet he spent the most time with, he said, Joe Harris, that's my locker mate too. That's my guy. He just gives me little things he's learned. He's going on his 11th year. So he's giving me things he's learned, especially playing with the greats, LeBron and Kyrie. I thought that was interesting that Asar, the guy he picked out, the veteran he picked out was Joe Harris. I'm not saying that just because Joe Harris seems to be, you know, mentor Asar Thompson, that that makes it all worth it and all of that. Because I know some people are not happy about the Joe Harris trade. I get it. I still think he has a little bit left and a role on this team. But it was interesting to me. And then this was also a very self-aware Joe Harris on his role. He said, I don't know. And we haven't discussed that. But to be honest, I'm not overly concerned with it. Whether it's playing 15 minutes or not playing at all, I think I can add value in any way. I just took a lot from that as a self-aware veteran who's going to come in, be ready when he's asked to be ready, but going to find ways to contribute even when he doesn't play. I love hearing those quotes from Joe Paris personally. You know, we haven't talked about Joe Harris just a lot, like... I feel like as a Pistons community, uh, which is odd because if you look at, I mean, it wasn't the most transaction filled offseason, but that was the biggest move. But I think that does speak to the depth that this team has, that it's like, how does Joe Harris fit in? He did get ahead of it by mentioning, you know, whether I played or or not, or if it's 15 minutes, whatever, I will come in and contribute. But that's also the stuff that you don't see. It's just, you know, a guy like that could come in and uh, he just takes a rookie under his wing and just, you know, gives him, the way of the NBA, right? Uh, you know, I didn't know who Asar was going to say. Like, you probably see in the back of your mind, it'll be one of the guys who were on the team last year, whether it's Bogey or Alec Burks who would do that. But, you know, Joe Harris came in. He said he wants to be an asset to the Pistons organization in any way he can. And, um, you know, and he spent a lot of time with Asar. So some people on Twitter, my mentions say, oh, Asar is definitely going to learn how to shoot now. And I did some research for a story last week. I think, I'm pretty sure, I think Joe Harris has even, even the third or fourth highest three-point career three-point percentage in NBA history. So we're talking about, like, the most elite of elite shooters. So, again, like, Bo, Bo's well, and I thought that was a really cool detail that him and the star have that relationship. Yeah, I mean, it can't hurt for him to be around somebody that can shoot the rock like that. One final one, Omari, before we go to our second break here. This was from Weaver. He said, it's not easy for ownership. This is the rebuild. It's not easy for the fans but we're building it the right way so we can have a sustained model. We don't want to microwave this process. We want to put it in the oven and make sure all the ingredients got cooked the right way. Sustained model was the thing that stood out to me the most right there is we're not going to speed this up. We're not going to do something that's hasty or could put us in a bad situation for the future. We have a plan. We're going to stick to the plan. Whether fans want to believe in it or not is something entirely different. I've said this from the first day Troy Weaver took over. They had a GM that had a plan and he was going to see it through. I think we're seeing it again. I'm not guaranteeing it's going to work, but that quote stuck out to me as well. A sustained model and they're going to stick to it. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, the thing is, you can absolutely derail years of rebuilding by casting in your chips too early. I mean, we saw the Pistons do that with Blake Griffin. Uh, we saw them do that with, you know, Ben Gordon and Charlie, even in the waiver. I mean, you can go back and back, right? And other teams too. You know, sometimes you go all in on the wrong player and then you limit yourself financially, you limit yourself roster-wise, and it's really hard to, uh, it can be really hard to dig yourself out of that hole. So, you know, this is, more so the reality of rebuilding where you don't know exactly how long it's going to go when you get into it. You know, of course, they wanted last season to, to be the leap for it. They want this year and then K gets hurt and then the season just gets derailed. Uh, so it's things like that you can't plan for. But Troy has reiterated since day one, uh, we're not going to rush this thing. We're going to go as slow and steady as possible. And just look at the roster now compared to when he took over and it's just like night and day, right? Like he's turned this roster over completely 
uh, probably almost two times over, right? Uh, you know, he has a handful of draft picks, but beyond that, it's just been a lot of transactions to increase the talent level for this team, increase the experience level, athleticism, like verticality, whatever you want to uh, say, uh, just compare it to what he took over. I would say the team is better off in every way, but youth-wise, talent-wise, they're better off. So it hasn't translated to wins, but they also have a very flexible cap sheet, you know, going forward, you know, which opens up a wide range of possibility. And I know people are like, well, you know, they didn't do it this past season. So they hype us up for the cap space every year and don't do anything. But they're getting closer to the points where it will make more sense to make that type of dive and get a talent in who can really change things better for the better for this team. So uh, nowhere to go but up after a 17-win season, of course. But, you know, I think if you just look at the entirety of the rebuild, like they're unquestionably in a better place than they were four years ago. And I just always like to reiterate when we have these conversations, he didn't have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert to trade and start a rebuild. He didn't have Damian Lillard to trade to start a rebuild. And so he really started with very little assets whenever he started this thing. And I think it's in decent position, but now they have to execute moving forward. These draft picks have to turn into dudes and some of these other moves, especially the ones coming up, he's going to have to hit home runs on. We're going to go to a short break right here. Omari, when we come back, we have some quotes from Cade Cunningham and Jay Nivey on Monty Williams, how excited he got when talking about playing with Jalen Duran. We have some off-season life of NBA players and what a few guys did. And we have some questions from the chat. We'll get into all of that right after this. All right, we're back with segment three. And as you alluded to before the break, a lot of Monty Williams talked today from the players and just the respect they have for him. Uh, so I'm going to uh, find this quote from Cade Cunningham, which I just had it up and then I scrolled up by accident. Uh, here I we got go. it. Okay, you okay. got it? Yeah, here we go. Uh, Cade and his relationship with Williams, we see a lot of things the same way. The main thing, I like how he carries himself outside of coaching, just the way he goes about connecting with people. I think it's amazing to watch. It's easy to follow behind someone like that. And then Jaden Ivey said, I'm blessed to be able to say he's going to be my coach. I have so much gratitude that I would get to learn from him, build a relationship with him. And it's something that over my career, I haven't seen. It leaves me speechless because he's such an amazing person. So these are just like very glowing, doting reviews of Monty Williams so far. But again, I think it speaks to just the cohesiveness this team has and uh, just the excitement to have somebody in Monty who has proven he, he can do it. Uh, he did it with Phoenix after they won 19 games free he took over. And, uh, it, you know, it's a pretty rapid improvement from there. So it just seems like the team has really bought into what they're preaching. Amari, I saw the quote from Cade on Monty. And I was like, wow, that's really high praise from Cade. And then when I wet, read the one from Jay Nivey, I was like, holy cow. Like that that is a dude going out of his way. And like, you could almost feel the emotion just reading your tweet, you know, like him saying, it leaves me speechless because he's such an amazing person and he feels lucky to be coached by this man. That just, I think that speaks to who Monty Williams is, man. Like as someone who talks about this team weekly, watches 82 games, spends so much time, I was like, that's really cool that that's who's coaching this team and leading this organization now that two of probably the two most important players, Omari and Cade and Jaden Ivey feel that way about their head coach. That's not to demean Dwayne Casey. I think they both probably had great relationships with Dwayne Casey as well, but that's really good stuff. I don't know. Maybe I don't watch enough media days from other NBA teams, but I can't imagine many quotes were coming out the way Jaden and Cade were talking about Monty Williams. So I wanted to make sure we touched on that because it really stood out to me for sure. Yeah, you don't always hear like glowing reviews uh, for coaches the way that the Pistons did today. So that definitely stands out. And I mean, you hear from everybody that like, Monty's, you know, a great person. Like we know what, he, what he's been through family-wise and, you know, it just takes a lot of strength and perseverance to be able to do that. And he's commended the respect from this team. Uh, you know, uh, Monty did mention, like he knows, uh, you know, Dwayne didn't teach bad habits last year, right? Like things just kind of went askew at some point. So his challenge is to come in and just find a different formula, right? Like, how do we change this culture? How do we get things going the right way? But, I mean, again, like, we even saw him out in L.A. Uh, with the Rico Hines runs, hanging out with the team. So there's just been a lot of um, just, like, team building over the last few months. And I think it just shows that, you know, these guys really like Monty Williams. I mean, you have that amount of buy-in uh, that's what you want to see going into to training camp. You don't want to see cracks or fissures or anything. You want to see everybody on the same page. And it seems like they're all a big fan of them. 
All right. I thought this was interesting. Cade smiled when asked what he hopes to accomplish with Jalen Duran this season. And then he said, quote, a lot, a lot. So I went and looked, Omari. Do you know how many minutes those two guys played together this past season? Not that many. 79 minutes between yeah. Cade Cunningham and Jalen Duran. Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey only had 283. For reference, Killian Hayes and Jaden Ivey played almost 1,200 minutes together last season. Cade and Jalen Duran didn't even get 100. And Cade and Ivy didn't even get to 300. So I, I can't imagine that Cade Cunningham is super excited to play with Jalen Duran. Remember how good he looked with Marvin Bagley the third whenever that trade happened? And... I like bags, but I think Jalen Duran's got a little more, you know, vertical pop and stuff. I think there could be some real chemistry there. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Cade and Ivy developing that backcourt, but Cade and Duran chemistry, running pick and roll and those type of things wasn't something I had thought about quite as much. Obviously, sounds like Cade is pretty excited for that to finally happen. Yeah, Cade and Jalen spent a lot of time uh, together this summer beyond uh, the Team USA stuff in Vegas. Uh, JD also mentioned that he actually flew down to Dallas to hang out uh, with Cade at home. Uh, you know, because Cade is from Arlington, so he went down there when they spent some time together, had some pickup rounds. And, you know, he just talked about learning, you know, where Cade likes his spots, uh, you know, just how he attacks the game, where he likes to pass to. Uh, so they've been really working on that chemistry this offseason. And again, like, that's just so few minutes. I mean, 79 minutes together. Like, they really didn't even play together last season. Uh, you know, they, they, had, they had time in practice, but no significant NBA time at all. And it's actually funny, like, I was, like we were talking to Alec Burks, and I was like, I don't think you and Cade played together at all last season. I think Alec Burks made his debut today after Cade played his last game, which is crazy. So, again, there's, there's just going to be so much newness this season. Cade being out last season really... I mean, that's like 65% of this rebuild puzzle that was just completely missing. So him coming back, and we talk about the ceiling for this team, like I'm probably in the 30 to 35 win range. We probably are too. I mean, I don't know if you are. I'm not going to speak for you. But um, along with that, if you look at reasons why this team could improve pretty rapidly, it's just because Kate is back. And that's your team really shouldn't have been a 17-win team to begin with. We got a few more quotes that we'll get to if we have time. But I want to get to the questions, Omari. So if you're watching us live right now, first, thank you again to everybody. If you're listening on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever on Apple, Spotify, please leave us a rating and review. Help us continue to grow. But let's go to some of these questions. This is from Rashad. What do we do about livers? He can't be depended on. We need a real shooting option at power. Forward, So Amari, I don't know that we can really talk about free agents. There's going to be some roster moves, right? There's still an open roster spot for the Pistons. I personally think you can still play Boyan minutes at the four. I know Wes is definitely supportive of that. You talked about Asar. Obviously, that's not a shooting option. I think we both believe in Stu a little bit, maybe more than the consensus as a shooter. I don't know what else you do there. That's kind of what you have on this roster. If there is one spot that's a little bit of a quote-unquote hole, it probably is that four spot and really stretching the floor from there. But I, I think Boyan can play the four. Yeah, I mean, he did it last season and it's probably not his ideal position, but I think especially if you have a strong rebounder there, you could get away with it. And along with that, Livers being out also potentially opens up more minutes for uh, James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley if Isaiah Stewart is going to play a lot more four to fill in for um, Isaiah Livers. So we have to see how well Isaiah Stewart shoots the ball, of course. It's tough to say if he'll replace that shooting that Isaiah Livers pr provides. And I mean, if he were an Isaiah Livers shooter <laughs> next season, that would be like probably the best case of scenario because Livers is around 38% for his career. And it's not even better than that in college. Uh, so rotation-wise, we will have to see, but I think you could play bogey at the four and be fine and uh, survive until Livers gets back in November at some point. So a couple of questions that build kind of off of each other. Our guy, RB Nesbitt, always supporting, says, day one starter, question mark. I say yes. That was when we were talking about Asar Thompson. And then our guy, Camille, from Turkey, do you think Asar will come off the bench or will be a starter in the first match? I, I think... I would start him, Omari. We talked about this last episode with the all lineups. If you guys haven't watched that, go check it out. I don't think he ends up starting, though. I think we both agreed. We thought the Pistons would start Boyan, Stu, and Duran. I would start Asar, but that's just me. I don't think that's what ends up happening, though. Yeah, I honestly don't know, uh, but I really could see Asar starting, you know, especially if 
He's like with Livers being out, that could open up more minutes for him playing either the three or the four. Uh, you know, so I'll I'll see. He would be the first uh, top seven pick since Troy took over to not start day one, but obviously it's a new coaching staff and, you know, death-wise, they're in a completely different space as well. Um, I think the lack of shooting probably hurts. You got to get as best shooting as you can around him to make up for that. But if you just want to set a really strong defensive tone early, then it does make sense to, to start him. So I'm not predicting that he will, but it would not surprise me if he does. All right. This is from our guy, Doug McMiniman, and he has another one I want to talk about, but I want to stay on the Pistons for just a little bit. He said, Omari, any hints of possible deals like Boyan, or do you think this team is essentially set? So again, I've mentioned it a couple times just in passing Omari you know, one open roster spot. Do you think that just ends up being a, the Thunder cut a player that the Pistons like? Jeremiah Robinson Earl gets waived and the Pistons can sign him, you know, or do you think there is a potential trade out there kind of floating in the universe? Yeah, I mean, I think just probably the safest guess is that it will be a player who gets cut and then they just pick them up and bring them in, whether, you know, that's a floor spacer or, you know, power forward or whatever they deem necessary. And, you know, Trey, he was very nonspecific when asked about it. You know, he just said they want to maintain that flexibility and they're not necessarily looking for any particular position, but just a player who fits what they want to do just from uh, a personality standpoint and obviously just a culture fit standpoint. Um, I would would be surprised to see Boyan trade it, you know, just because if you're trading one of your best offensive players, it's got to be worthwhile, (laughs) you know, right? Like, what are you getting back if you're trading Boyan? And I just can't imagine what that deal would be at this point in the season. Uh, You know, maybe some teams in the East get scared because of what, uh, you know, the Bucks in Boston did last week. And they decide, okay, we're just going to blow it up now. Maybe something comes there. Like, that's tough to predict, obviously. But, I, like, I, I, I would be surprised to see Boyan trade it before the season starts. And if he is, it would presumably be for a player who's going to be a star for this team or close to it. Or a, a, a lot, like, draft capital. Like, I should put that out there, too. But it's got to be something worthwhile. I kind of thought maybe that open roster spot was staying in because of the Dame trade or what then ended up being a Drew trade as well. You know, where the Pistons could have got involved and just taken a player that needed a home where none of that played out. I wonder if now they'll look to go ahead and obviously now they'll fill that roster spot, uh, you know, with somebody as we're closer to the season. But I kind of wonder if we were just like, hey, I'm going to leave an open roster spot here just in case we can land some player who needs to be involved for money purposes, but the, you know, nobody else involved in the trade necessarily wants him. Let's keep moving through these. Appreciate you guys as you're getting these in here from Sharon Dalton. Do you think Sasser will spend more time in the G league this year? This is something we've talked about. The one caveat with all this depth and competition, Omari is not everybody can play every night. And that, that backcourt depth seems pretty strong right now. I would can't see why he wouldn't spend some time down there unless he does crack the rotation, which I'm not predicting right now. So you might as well get him some minutes, in my opinion. We knew how Dwayne Casey handled uh, those G League assignments and no first-round picks went to the G League under him except to, you know, work their way back from injuries like Cade and Isaiah Livers did. And Phoenix, I believe, didn't even have a G League team until, like, this might be the first season for theirs. But, you know, like, Monty didn't really have a a G League system to lean on uh, for most, if not all, of his time down in Phoenix. So there's not really any, any... precedent for how Marcus Sasser will be handled as far as that. Um, just rotation-wise, it's tough to see him getting those minutes unless, you know, some players get hurt. So uh, it probably will take an injury or, you know, maybe late in the season for him to get those minutes. But when you play in the G League, I, I mean, I really don't know. I'm sure if he, he wants to, to allow him to do that. But so far, uh, we just haven't seen any, any first-round picks do that. So it's really tough to say. From RB again, question, do you think not having Casey's shot spectrum, I assume he's saying threes and at the rim, will free guys like Cade and Stu to kill from the mid-range more? I, I thought we saw that a little bit from Cade. And to be quite honest, I feel like he let Jay Nivey do that a little more than what I anticipated. I'll be honest, guys, like I don't keep track of like these NBA coaches and kind of what their quote-unquote thing is. We tried to get some Phoenix Suns people on at a certain point when Monty was first hired. It never came to fruition, so we never got to it. But I feel like Booker, KD, Chris Paul, some of those guys were guys that operated in the mid-range. I'm not comparing the Pistons roster to those guys, obviously, Amari. But I feel like I feel like he has to allow Cade, at the very least, to do it. And again, I thought Jaden showed a ton of growth in that range as well. So I guess to answer your question, I would be disappointed if he doesn't. 
Yeah, I mean, if they're good mid-range shooters, then, you know, they'll be able to, to take them. Chris Paul, of course, was great from mid-range and always has been. Uh, Devin Booker was a good mid-range shooter, and those were shots that they uh, took. And, you know, Monty will prioritize ball movement, but, uh, you know, Cade, I mean, uh, he was really good for mid-range last season. Uh, that's a shot I think he'll he'll go to and self-create. And it's like Duran said, you know, he's not really going to put limits on guys. So, you know, I'm sure they're going to maximize spacing and whatnot. But if that's the best shot, you know, you take the best shot. This is from our guy, Rocky. He says, can you guys explain the positive outlook of Asar in the second unit and how he fits in that group? Again, we did this whole lineup episode last week. Go check that out if you haven't. I think what we kind of came to, though, Amari, is Asar can essentially fit in any lineup. Like, he's yeah. very malleable in that way. I guess what you would see as the second unit right now is... Monty and Burks aren't the greatest defenders, not super athletic at this point. So Asar can really defend in that second unit. I don't know where the spacing comes from. If you're starting Boyan and Sue, who's playing at the four now? Can you go super small, Amari, and play Joe Harris at the three and Asar at the four with Wiseman or Bagley? Maybe you can get away with that with Asar's defensive rebounding. I think the biggest thing with Asar is you just bring that energy off the bench now, right? Everybody talks about that kind of that energy guy. And I think that that's something Asar could do. So I think what's hopefully special about Asar is he can just kind of fit into a bunch of different lineups as long as there's enough shooting around him. I'm curious to see just rotation wise, do you bring him in early enough in the first quarter uh, to take on some of those tougher defensive assignments. But, I mean, again, he's malleable. I think the second unit, just to have a guy with that level of defense and athleticism, a live threat, somebody who could push the ball in transition and make the right pass, uh, I think it really adds a lot of just zip to that unit and a lot of athleticism, athleticism to that unit. And it could be really fun, depending on who, who you put out there with him. So, uh, you know, whether he's staggered or it's just a... a full rotation, uh, like five and, and five, we'll see. But regardless, I think Asar will be able to thrive and uh, make an impact. All right, we'll get to a few more here before we shut it down. Detroit for Life 1000, even taking into his lack of positioning, doesn't Wiseman have the physical talent to be a positive? Here's what I'll say. Y yes, James Wiseman physically is extremely intriguing. I know I've kind of been down on James Wiseman. Part of that was because I was so excited when they brought him in, I went and did the film breakdown. I talked to Warriors fans and people that watched a ton of games and were around the team and all that. And I got excited about what he could be. And I maybe my expectations were too high, but it just didn't come to fruition last year, Omari. So in fairness to him, you get a whole offseason with this team. You get a chance to come in, training camp, all of that stuff. Maybe he's really good. But yes, there, there was a reason he was selected where he was selected, Omari. I just don't think we've seen it practically play out on the NBA floor yet. Yeah, I mean, he's a legit seven feet tall with a big wingspan and is a plus athlete as well. So I think the physical talent, you know, really is the primary reason why they traded for him because he just has tools that you can't teach. Uh, you know, of course, it's now learning how to apply them in a productive way. Uh, but they took a swing on upside and Wiseman has that upside because of how well he moves for his size. I mean, again, I don't know why, but in the NBA, like, there's just a, a clear difference between 6'11 and 7 feet. I don't know why, but when the guy's 7 foot, it's just, it's just a little bit different and he has that. So, can't teach that. It's just him continuing to learn the game and apply that into the game. All right. This is from Mel. Omari, did anything stand out to you about any of the new guys, including rookies, since you were there in person and got to feel their vibe? So anybody stand out, just the way they answered questions, their demeanor, anything like that? I wasn't expecting Joe Harris to look like Jesus. He had like really long hair. And I was just oh. like, like, I didn't know he had that long hair. So that caught me. Like that was the first time we talked to uh, Joe Harris today. So that was the first thing that went through my mind. Uh, beyond that, like we got to know the rookies pretty well at um, like Summer League. Like, you know, we talked to us. Uh, we talked to Sasser there. And we also talked to him when they were introduced to the media, uh, you know, back in June. So uh, not really a whole lot there, but just the guys we haven't talked to as much. Like today was first time I talked to Joe Harris and, you know, he was just, you know, pleasant to talk to. And, you know, he talked about his role and, um, you know, just working with, you know, certain guys and how he wants to help this team, uh, you know, just like a real lack of ego. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, second time we talked to Monte Morris today. Um, well, you know, I, I talked to him in Flint when they did the unveiling of that park a couple months ago. But today was like his actual, I believe, first real media availability apart from that. 
And, you know, again, like he's very personable. Uh, he has some really, really good quotes. Like he has some quotes that like I went back and transcribed and I was like, he like he kind of got like a, a bar off a little bit. Like he uh like I'm scrolling down, I'm trying to find one of them now, but like he has some really good quotes and it's always great to have a veteran on the team who's a go to and you just need to talk to him about a certain player, what the vibe of the team is right now. I feel like he'll be able to uh, step into that role, which is great. And of course, he's he's local, so you can you know talk about Flint and whatnot, like local stuff, and that's always great. So uh, we'll we'll see. You know, like we we know most of these guys. There wasn't a lot of roster turnover this offseason, so a lot of these guys we've you know talked to in the locker room, spent time with. But those guys specifically, uh, just the ones we don't know, it's always fun to get to know. Like especially veterans in this league, because they always have interesting insights that you don't get from such a young team. Wes said someone on Twitter said Joe Harris looked like Christian Bale. So I, Whoa, I have not that's seen a good one too. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen it. I didn't watch Media Day. I literally just followed your Twitter feed and that's how I caught it. So I I I'm gonna have to go search up a picture or something now. Speaking of people and how they looked in their media day, this is from Rashad. How do you think Jimmy Butler's new look will affect the Pistons' chances in the East playoff race? Did you see this picture? Did you see Jimmy Butler? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, no, had- I, I hope my wife saw it. Like that's my first thought was I'm going to put this on Twitter and I'm because as I've talked about on here, my wife has a huge crush on Jimmy Butler. And I'm just gonna be like, really? And so apparently this is what he does every year. He shows up looking different. Here's the thing. You know, some women really like the emo looks. So, you know, maybe you'll learn something about Rainy now. I don't know. Well, obviously, I have no chance. So if that's what she's into, then I don't know. Our 10-year anniversary is coming up on Thursday. And so if that's what she wants, she's been spending 10 years with not that. So... Well, you know, they have products that can get you that, you know, if you ever want to go that direction. Um, but what does it mean for the Pistons' chances in the East <laughs> playoff race? You know, that's a good question because, you know, a man who has the confidence to just rock the complete emo look, you know, you don't know what he might do. So we'll see. We'll see. It was a little scary. All right. Last one here. This is from our guy, Doug. Good evening, guys. Do you guys think of all the attention Milwaukee and Boston helps to keep the Pistons on the back burner, thus helping them surprise this season? I more so want to ask you, Amari, what are your thoughts on Damian Lillard to the Bucks, and then eventually Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics? Yeah, I mean, the, the Damian Lillard to the Bucks hasn't even really clicked in my mind yet. And I saw uh, their media day photo today, and he just looks so weird in a Bucks jersey. Like, as any player does when they first leave a team they've been with for a while. Uh, but still, it just looked especially weird because I don't even know if the Bucks were like the obvious team that was going to trade for him. Uh, you know, they weren't really in the rumor mill as much. And, you know, but they did need to do something because, you know, Giannis has been kind of towing that line of like, I love Milwaukee, but I love Milwaukee so much and I won't leave if I can't win here. So, uh, you know, they had to do something. And just fit-wise, I mean, that's just about perfect. Uh, I don't really know how you defend Giannis and Damian Lillard. I don't think I don't think you can defend Giannis and Damian Lillard. I think just from a fit standpoint, that's like as good as it gets for like a big and one of the NBA's most elite shooters and ball handlers. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would assume that they're going to be the best team in the East. Hugh Holiday in Boston, of course, is a big upgrade, uh, you know, because he gives you a lot of the defense you get from Marcus Smart, but also, you know, he's a better offensive player. And that roster's changed so much that it's just kind of, like, shocking. Like, they don't have Grant Williams anymore. They don't have, you know, uh, Robert, Robert Williams. Williams. They just traded yeah. him. Like, no Marcus Smart, which is just insane to me. So, you know, like we're seeing teams like we had like this great era for parity and now we have teams that are like, OK, like we got to start making some big swings to kind of break out of this to separate ourselves. And uh, it just seems like Boston, Milwaukee and Phoenix are in their own category as far as that. Oh, Phoenix, a lot of their guys get injured a lot. So, you know, they, they're going to need some good luck to keep to keep it together next year. But we'll see. You know, I think just Boston and Milwaukee doing that makes the East more interesting in a way because I think like parity is great but it's also great to have two teams that it's just like who's going to bring them down I'm curious to see if it forces a lot more Eastern Conference teams to hit the reset button before the trade deadline you know does Atlanta re-sign DeJounte Murray if they know this is going to happen and now it's like well we're not going to probably win anything next year so you know what do they do uh, you know, like Miami, you didn't get Damian Lillard. So, like, what's the next move for you? And you lost some of your key role players over uh, the offseason, which puts them in a tough spot. Uh, you know, Embiid, M- I mean, James Harden reportedly didn't come, you know, to their media day today. So, you know, Philly has stuff to figure out. There's, like, this whole just chain effect of, like, what do these teams do 
now that the ground kind of got swept from under them. And it doesn't really affect the Pistons at all, uh, you know, unless they end up being a, a playoff team, in which case it, it, it will, but uh, it does take some of the attention off the, the Pistons. And, you know, we'll see if they can capture some of that with the K breakout this year. Yeah, that's what I'm interested to see is I feel like you have two dominant teams in the East. So how does everybody else play this out whenever you have two teams that look that dominant, assuming they stay healthy? Amari, Pistons basketball is back. You're back in the building. Offseason O is gone for another year. Next time we pod, Omari, we will have real NBA basketball to talk about. I don't care that it's a preseason game. It's real basketball. It's not Summer League. It's not Rico Hines. It's real basketball. We will record next Sunday evening after that Pistons game, after Omari does his article. Come join us for that. Thank you, everybody that joined us tonight. We, we kind of felt like maybe the fan base would start to come back a little bit. And you guys definitely showed out. We appreciate you. Again, if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, leave a rating review. If you're watching here on YouTube, hit the thumbs up, the like, the subscribe, all the stuff that you need to do on YouTube. We appreciate you guys. Amari, take it away, my guy. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that the first preseason game is next Sunday at 3 p.m. It's just you know, it seems like it's a lot more compressed this year. We have like six days and it's just like, yeah, basketball. So that'll be exciting. And I'm always excited for 3 p.m. Sunday games anyway, because I get to be home by 7 p.m. Uh, while still daylight. I guess not in, anymore because it's like fall, but still. <laughs> always a good feeling. So thanks for tuning in. Excited to talk basketball next week. And I'll close this out. Uh, big thanks to our editor, Robin Chan, audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado. And our sports editor, Kirk McCrawford. And also a big shout out to Wes as always. We'll talk to you all next week. Mm-hmm.